1: Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore and the Catholic Review. On May 31st, Archbishop William E. Lori will celebrate a special Mass in honor of the 200th anniversary of the dedication of the Basilica of the Assumption in Baltimore. The historic building was designed by Benjamin Henry Latrobe, the same architect who designed the U.S. Capitol. Right after the Anniversary Mass, Archbishop Lori will start a new chapter in the history of America's first cathedral by blessing a perpetual adoration chapel in the Basilica's Undercroft. Later on today's show, we'll talk with Father James Borick, rector of the Baltimore Basilica, about the inauguration of perpetual adoration at the Basilica for what is believed to be the first time in the history of Baltimore City. But first, we're going to explore the architectural and historical significance of the Basilica with Duncan Stroik, a board member with the Basilica Historic Trust and a professor of architecture at the University of Notre Dame in Indiana. Duncan is also the founding editor of the Sacred Architecture Journal. Here's our conversation with Duncan Stroik. Duncan Stroik, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. It's
2: great to be here, George. Uh, Thanks for talking about one of my favorite buildings in the U.S.,
3: Could you tell us how the Baltimore Basilica came about in the first place? What was the vision behind it?
2: Well, it's a neat story because, of course, uh, there are very few Catholics in the country when we were part of the 13 colonies. Uh, There were Catholics in some of the French and Spanish areas. But in the 13 colonies, there weren't a lot of us. And so while there were some Catholic churches and there were some clandestine churches, uh, we didn't have a cathedral and we didn't have a bishop. And so after the Revolution, uh, the Holy Father made a bishop of John Carroll, who was a brother, a cousin of uh, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, made him our first bishop and made the see in Baltimore. If you have a bishop, you need a chair, and if you need a chair, you need a house to put it in, you need a a cathedral for the chair. And uh, so he wanted to uh, bring about a new Cathedral, the first uh, Catholic cathedral in the what was the thirteen colonies now the uh uh what we call the United States,
3: and Archbishop Carroll had a very specific vision for this basilica it, it was quite unlike anything else that was built at that time, is that right?
2: yeah, it's interesting because we see it today and we say, Wow, that's a nice church, but it's not huge it's you know they're much bigger churches um uh the national cathedral in d c is grander. But at the time, it's actually one of, if not the largest uh, building in the country, other than the capital itself.
3: How did it differ from the other basilicas in terms of style, or other other churches of the the time?
2: Well, um, yeah, I think a lot of our churches before Baltimore, uh, before the basilica, were um, brick, and they were fairly simple. Uh, in some ways, from the outside, they didn't look that different than Protestant meeting houses. Uh, some there were aspects, maybe that uh, you know, some statuary or so on. So often, uh, a simple building, brick building with a gable roof, or a simple building with a tower, uh, one tower. And the Baltimore Basilica by Latrobe really takes architecture to a whole new level. You could say on an international scale, much as the work that was being done for the White House and the U.S. Capitol and then other uh, federal buildings were trying to do. They were trying to do something timeless and something classical and something that would express this new uh, republic.
3: And how does it kind of augment this notion of religious freedom?
2: Yeah, so uh, the, uh, first of all, the, the though there was an early kind of openness to Catholics in um Maryland by uh, Lord uh, Baltimore, uh, Calvert Lord Baltimore, who founded the colony. Uh, Actually, Catholics were fairly persecuted in Maryland by the Church of England, and uh, it was pretty tough times. So after the Revolutionary War, there was uh, relatively relatively improved uh, religious freedom, and so this was a way for the Catholics to say, we're here. Uh, We're present. We're going to, um, you know, we're going to accept our right of the freedom of worship, freedom of religion, and we're going to express that symbolically, architecturally, by building a grand building with a dome uh, out of stone, permanent, and on a very prominent spot.
3: Can you talk about the the lighting and how that's connected with the, the innovation of the dome?
2: Well, that's an interesting point. So, Latrobe, who is the architect of the cathedral and comes from a Protestant background, was a friend of Jefferson, a friend of uh, George Washington, and was doing these buildings in uh, Pennsylvania, in Virginia, and in the new the new city that becomes Washington, D.C. And so he's considered one of the top uh, architects of the time, and he's doing the federal buildings. And so Carroll... John Carroll, uh, taps him to be the architect, and uh, he brings a great love of classical architecture, and one of the favorite things of classical architects of the time was the Pantheon in Rome, and so this domical structure, but with a nave, so it's cruciform building with a dome, and uh, designed for the Catholic Church, so he had to think about that, and a high altar, and a tabernacle, and Uh, a cathedral for the bishop, and a a pulpit, and so on. And um, he did it in a way that was, very much of the time, very uh, philosophical, a lot of natural light, no stained glass, and most importantly was this dome over the crossing, much like we have a dome at the U.S. Capitol, and there were various other buildings being thought of at the time with domes, including uh, the famous house by our third president, uh, Monticello what we today call neoclassicism was a movement in the uh, 18th and the 19th century to um not so different than other periods but particularly to look back at ancient architecture of Rome and Greece to apply it to today to their time and some of the leaders in that were the french and latrobe learned a lot from uh, great buildings in Paris and other places. And so there's a simplicity about the building. Of course, there's a grand ionic portico, like a temple, or like the Pantheon in Rome. And so it's a church with a big porch, uh, which is pretty grand for uh, that time in America. And But that's a neoclassical trope, to have a portico, to have a big porch. The whole interior is kind of, I think of the whole interior as kind of being made up of arches, an arch ceiling, a series of low, flat domes as you come in and in the sanctuary, but then the big dome with uh, round coffers over the crossing, over the where the transept meets the nave, and then very interesting piers that hold up the dome, and then that that brought about various elements, like often as in, is traditional, you know, at the four corners of the dome you put four people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Their their names and their symbols, and the thing about the dome was that Latrobe had been uh, experimenting with them and he loved masonry domes, like real brick domes rather than plaster domes or wood domes like uh, Jefferson used in uh, at the University of Virginia. His friend, uh, but he liked real brick domes, so he's doing that, but there's this problem about how to bring light into the dome. And Jefferson said you really need to bring light into the dome, the domes at the Capitol and so Latrobe did that, and they had a lot of leakage in the skylights at, at the U.S. Capitol. So when he came to Baltimore, he came up with this neat idea to have a series of skylights, not directly over the center, but on the sides of the the middle, over around the oculus, not directly in the center, so that the light can come in and reflect down. So when you look up, you don't really see the sky in in uh, the Basilica of the Assumption. But there's lots of light coming in. And I think he's thinking that if there is water that gets in, it has a place to go without damaging the interior. It can go somewhere else, you know, almost like a like a like a gutter, you know, on the inside. So that's what he was thinking. And he came with that idea, pretty innovative, uh, to have skylights around the dome that led in indirect light. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah. I think some contemporaries of the time referred to it as kind of a mysterious light. Is that right? The mysterious?
2: Yes. Yeah, which yeah. is which is really neat and very I think of it as very Catholic too, that the the light is mysterious and we think of the light as being symbolic. It's not just looking out the window and seeing the sky, but it's a symbolic light or symbolic sky that should reference the heaven or the angels or, you know, God. What is your favorite part of
3: of the basilica?
2: Well, I'm just so um I'm just so thrilled that uh almost twenty years ago Cardinal Keeler restored it and since then you've had other Archbishops who have kept it going and beautified it and added to it, and a new chapel, adoration chapel, is uh, being dedicated this year by the Archbishop, and it's just that's just so wonderful. But I'm just so thrilled that they restored it and they took out some things that, while very nice, were not um, as conducive to the original vision of Carroll and um, Latrobe, and so like some stained glass that was put in in the 50s. And they rediscovered some things, like the symbols of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They repainted new images of the Assumption and of Christ's Ascension. So the things that they did in that restoration are stunning, as well as the Bishop's Cathedra and the pulpit, which um, were you know, redone over the 100, 100, 200 years. And I just love the original uh, Latrobian versions of that because there are a a series of other domes. You have the big dome, you have two smaller domes, and then you actually have the bishop's seat and the pulpit having a little kind of canopy, round canopy, almost dome-like. So it's it's a story about domes, it's a story about the heavens.
3: And they were able to preserve a lot of those additions. I know the stained glass windows went to St. Louis and Clarksville, and they built their whole church around those stained glass windows, so it worked out for everyone.
2: Yeah, it was a win-win.
3: Absolutely. Well, Duncan Stroik, Professor of Architecture at the University of Notre Dame School of Architecture, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio.
2: It's great to be here, George, and God bless uh, the great Archdiocese of Baltimore.
1: When we come back, we'll talk with Father James Borick, Basilica Rector, about the start of perpetual adoration at the Basilica, beginning May 31st. I'm George Matisek and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio.
4: With inviting surroundings, complete independence, and an unmatched quality of life, Mercy Ridge is the unparalleled choice for your retirement lifestyle. It's a way of living that promotes an active, healthier life. Located in Timonium, Maryland, Mercy Ridge Continuing Care Retirement Community features a beautifully landscaped 32-acre campus. The grounds, dining, and recreational amenities and residences are designed to provide a gracious lifestyle and a variety of exciting activities. Visit mercyridge.com.
0: This is Archbishop William Lori of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio.
1: Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Madisec. The Baltimore Basilica is only weeks away from launching perpetual Eucharistic Adoration. Here to talk about it is Father James Borick, the Basilica's rector.
3: Father James Borick, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio.
5: Thank you, George.
3: May 31st is the 200th anniversary of the dedication of the Baltimore Basilica, but it also marks an exciting new chapter in the life of the Basilica. Could you tell us about that?
5: Sure. So, you know, on our 200th anniversary, um, just as our Basilica was dedicated 200 years ago, we will be dedicating, and when I say we, I mean Archbishop Glory, we'll be dedicating and blessing our new Perpetual Eucharistic Adoration Chapel um, so that on after the Mass for the 200th anniversary, we can... Dedicate and bless this new chapel and then begin that new era, as you said, and and really for the first time in Baltimore City history that we know of, um, begin perpetual Eucharistic adoration um, right here at the Basilica in the city.
3: This really represents the fulfillment of a dream of your predecessor, Monsignor Arthur Valenzano, who died back in 2015. Before Monsignor Valenzano came to the Basilica, he started perpetual adoration at St. John in Westminster, where he had been a longtime pastor. Then once he was at the Basilica, Monsignor Valenzano set up an adoration chapel in the Basilica's Undercroft in 2011, and then that chapel was beautifully renovated in 2014. But it was only open for limited hours on certain days. Now it's going to be the 24-7 chapel that Monsignor Valenzano had always envisioned. Could you talk about that connection to Monsignor Valenzano?
5: Sure. So obviously, Monsignor Valenzano loved the, the Eucharist and his dream was to have as much <laughs> Eucharistic adoration as possible. And as you pointed out, you know, he started perpetual adoration at St. John's in Westminster where I was assigned as a seminarian, um, although not with him, but with Monsignor Farmer. And just as a seminarian, I got to to really participate in, in the fruit of his work and every single day I get to make a, a holy hour in front of the blessed sacrament. That's sort of the, the, uh, the cornerstone of the spiritual life is just to be in front of our Lord and all the you know the work that happens in that silence and in that prayer. And so I know he wanted to replicate that in the city and really began to to have many hours of adoration throughout the week. Um but because of his illness and everything else, um it was just very very difficult. So he, he got the ball rolling, got the chapel down there started and then when I came in, um you know really it was just a matter of kind of finishing the vision. And so we uh you know, for those who are used to the the undercroft and what it was like, it's kind of an open air open area, which made for um, difficulty when you're in Adoration as far as the silence, you know, with the various tours and things that go down there. So we very carefully and creatively closed in that space and really making a, a very nice door that would be something that we hoped Latrobe would would have thought of, you know, to make himself and it looked just like he did. Um and then to close that space in and then really to tie it into one of the great saints of the Basilica, which is, of course, John Paul II. And so we brought in a lot of the, what I'll call the relics of JP II, into that space, you know, his charitable that he wore when he celebrated Mass on October 8th of 1995 at Cannon Yards. Um, we brought in the, a beautiful bust of John Paul II that was given to Cardinal Keeler. And then also we, we have the painting of Our Lady of Chestahova which was in the sanctuary when John Paul II knelt before the Blessed Sacrament. We restored that, and then it also we restored the very kneeler he, he knelt upon, so that when people come to pray in this new chapel, they can actually pray on, the, on that very kneeler that the saint knelt upon. And then even within that kneeler, we, we embedded a first-class relic of, of John Paul II so that you can literally reverence and sort of pray with this great saint of the Eucharist. So, you know, really we we just kind of finished the work that Monsignor had started and um, let people know that for the first time ever, Baltimore City is going to have perpetual adoration. The Archbishop was instrumental in all of this and gave us an intention, a prayer intention for every single day. So, for instance, on Monday, we're you know, we're hoping that the whole archdiocese will come and pray as we pray for an end to any injustice, especially racism. On Tuesday, you know, we've set aside a day to pray for an increase of vocations to the priesthood and for a renewal of the priesthood. And then each day has, you know, its own special intention. We're praying for our Catholic schools. You know, we're praying for children of divorce, adult children of divorce. We're praying for a strengthening of our marriages and families, for an end to the violence in the city, for a greater love of the Eucharist, you know, for for marriages. So really, the whole idea is to create this sort of center of prayer for the Archdiocese, that everyone can come. Everyone can pray, and there's never a time in the city in which someone is not interceding for the city and uh, and to make Jesus available to the people of the city at all hours, day and night.
3: And the centerpiece of the chapel is a really magnificent tabernacle that you commissioned just for this space. Uh, can you tell us about that? It's it's really unique because it's a tabernacle and a
5: monstrance at the same time. Yeah, so there's it's a beautiful, beautiful tabernacle made by Granda from Spain, and they're really the best in the world, in my opinion, is when it comes to, to, to making the these sacred items. And it's actually the same tabernacle that the archbishop has in his in his chapel in the residence. Um, we've kind of, we made some modifications to it, but it's essentially the same tabernacle. So there's a continuity between the archbishop and, and the basilica. Um, and what we did is, it's got an exterior door and an interior door. And the exterior door, when it opens, then it it gives you access to a built in monstrance, if you will, built in luna that is embedded into the, the interior door. And that allows you to have the same sort of access that you would in a monstrance. Um so the blessed sacrament will be placed in that luna and then the door opened and you have adoration. And the only reason that I chose to do that as opposed to actually having a monstrance there was just to give the added protection of the, protecting the Eucharist in, in the city and making sure that, you know, nothing could ever happen and no one could ever walk away with our Lord. Um, but without giving any sort of the distance, you know, if you can see our Lord, the Blessed Sacrament is, is, is truly exposed, um, but it's just in, instead of a traditional monstrance, it's in sort of the monstrance of the tabernacle. Um, but I think it's exceptionally beautiful. We have an We have an enamel image, which is hand-done on the outer door, it's our Lady of the Most Blessed Sacrament, so the Blessed Mother holding the child Jesus who is holding the the chalice and the host. Um so we believe we're the only cathedral in the world that has that image on on the tabernacle. And it's just it's gold, it's just exceptional, and it really is, like you said, the uh the focal point of of the entire chapel.
3: What kind of impact do you think it will have on the city of Baltimore to have people praying in front of the blessed
5: sacrament twenty four hours a day? I think it's going to have a profound impact in a lot of ways. It's going to lead to unity. When people come in front of the Blessed Sacrament, we're united in that prayer. And somehow all of the differences that we have cease to exist for that time, and we focus on our Lord. So whether it's political differences or even theological differences within the church, you know, we all agree in the Eucharist, and we come to pray before our Lord, and all of a sudden those differences don't seem so so much. So I think there'll be an increase of unity, Um, I think that there's going to be an increase of vocations to the priesthood, to religious life, and to to holy matrimony. I think anytime people are in front of our Lord, he inspires hearts. And I think that uh, one of the things that we forget is that the Eucharist is not just a symbol of God. That's the same God that made the universe. That's that's God in front of us. And he has the power to change in, in every single one of our hearts and also to influence every one of our hearts. And so when you spend time and you commit to spending time in front of the God of the universe, only powerful things and good things can happen. Um, so that's why I think marriages will be strengthened. I think family life will will improve. But I also think that over time, we're going to see a significant uh, change in the city. Um, I think there'll be less murders. I think there'll be less violence. And people say, well, It doesn't make any sense. Well, again, it does. When you have people praying around the clock for a city, that makes a difference. When Jesus is available to the people of Baltimore City 24-7, that makes a difference. You know, for every year that I've been at the Basilica now, so four years, we've had a week we call the Rosary Congress, where we open the Basilica up 24-7 for adoration, and we pray the Rosary every single hour on the hour. And we pray for an, inc- for, you know, an increase in vocations, we, but we also pray for a decrease in the violent crime and the murders. And the first week that we did it, we actually made the Baltimore Sun because most of the days of that week, there were no murders in the city. Even last year, we had one day set aside for an end to the murders in the city. And on that day, there were zero murders in the city. And so it's been like this every single year. So is it a small sample size? Yes. But do I believe in the power of the Eucharist? Undoubtedly, and so when you when you put people in front of our Lord, He has the power to do everything and change the city at the level of the heart, and that will have a ripple effect into family life, into city life, into church life,
3: into all of our lives. How can people sign up if they were interested in, in taking a specific
5: hour for adoration? Sure. So on our website, you know, America'sFirstCathedral dot org, um, there's a a link right there to our adoration page. It's just americascathedralorg backslash adoration. And then everything is there, you know, it, you, the sign up. But also people are worried about security. You know, we have 24-hour security. We have a video that shows you, you know, how to park and how to get into the building um, at night and how easy it is. So everything is there at americasfirstcathedralorg backslash adoration. I I think it's interesting that all of this is happening
3: during the year of St. Joseph that uh, Pope Francis declared. Uh, Could could you close us out by
5: talking a little bit about that? I would love to. Um, One of my sort of heroes uh, is St. Peter Julian Amard. And St. Peter Julian Amard was a huge Mm -hmm. apostle, if you will, of the Eucharist, but also of St. Joseph. In Father Calloway's book on the consecration of St. Joseph, he quotes St. Peter Julian Amard many, many times But he talks about St. Joseph as being the first adorer and the first religious. He says, although St. Joseph never adored our Lord under the Eucharistic species and never had the happiness of communicating, he did possess and adore Jesus in human form. St. Joseph knew our Lord more thoroughly than did all the saints together. He lived for him alone. And in that lies his special glory, the keynote of his sanctity. In that, above all, he is our model. His point is that St. Joseph's holiness came from adoring our Lord. And that, yes, he was a carpenter, um, and yes, he, he worked, and from that time, you know, had to be apart from our Lord. But he also says that it was through the adoration, through the being with Jesus, that his sanctity continued to grow and that he became the man that uh, St. Joseph ended up, you know, being with our Blessed Mother and the great saint that we all look for, look up to He beautifully talks about how when Joseph would come back from the shop, that he would just adore our Lord through the night, you know, as a little child. And that's that's what I want, you know. We all can't adore Jesus every hour of the night, but we can all commit to spending one hour in front of the God of the universe and adoring the same God that St. Joseph adored, the same God that the Blessed Mother adored. And why can't we be great saints like them, you know? If we spend as much time adoring him, loving him, talking to him, then we can also be great saints, and that, in the end, is what we're all called to be, and that's why we're having perpetual adoration.
3: Well, Father James Borick, Rector of the Baltimore Basilica, thanks so much again for being here, and and thank you for your leadership in making this
5: all possible. Thanks a lot, George. I appreciate it very much.
1: For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening.
0: The Catholic Review is the only
3: publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org.
4: That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.